All right, well, good morning and welcome everyone who is watching and following along with this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call interview series. As always, I am Will Driscoll, the executive director here at the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, and happy to once again bring you our content platform, Hall Call. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to thank all of our Hall Call and Hall of Fame partners who helped make this possible, Priority Automotive, the Beck Foundation, the City of Virginia Beach, Davcon Inc., Optima Health, White Claw Hard Seltzer, ESPN Radio 94.1, Hamilton's Realty, and Davis Business Appraisers. You see them over my shoulder. Uh, they're all valuable partners here at the Hall of Fame. Well, as we sit here today, we are just 75 days away from our 2023 induction, the 50th in the Hall of Fame's history. So definitely an exciting time here at the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. And today we continue the induction discussion with one of our incoming inductees, Sean Moore, who you see on your screen. Coming out of Martinsville High School in the south side of Virginia, Sean would rewrite the record books for the University of Virginia, the Atlantic Coast Conference, and the NCAA. The 1990 ACC Player of the Year and Heisman Trophy finalist, he left UVA holding 41 school conference and NCAA records. And to this day, still holds the school records for total offense, 7,897 yards and 83 touchdowns. Uh, his efforts during the 1989 season helped the, helped the Cavaliers secure their first ever New Year's Day bowl game. And in 1990, he helped lead UVA football to its first ever number one ranking. This April, we can update the bio with Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee. So Sean, uh, after all of that, thanks for taking some time to join us today. Appreciate it, Will. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, I, I'm still a little shocked that some of those records still exist in, in this, in this <laughs> age. Of, <laughs> in this age of, you know, happy-go-lucky, let's sling it down the field. Yeah, people, people have certainly tried. There's been a lot of talent to come through the program uh, over the last few decades. Uh, but uh, but we'll go ahead and just get get right into it. You know, we are obviously based here in Hampton Roads, um, but we represent the entire state. But, you know, just based on where we are and where the population centers are, Hampton Roads, Central Virginia, the Richmond regions are all well represented um, in the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. The South Side region, though, uh, I don't want to say it can sometimes be overlooked, but it's smaller. They don't have quite the population center, but you will be the 19th inductee from the South Side region counties. And while the numbers aren't as big as some of the other regions, the names are, we're talking Johnny Newman, Wendell Scott, Brian Stith, Jerome Kersey, Jeff Burton, Marty Miller, just to name a few. What do those names mean to you? They're legendary. You know, um, you know when, when you say, mention a name like Brian Stith, Brian was one of my roommates in college. So we lived together for a year and spent time in, in Denver together when he was playing for the Nuggets and, and I was playing for the Broncos. So, but, you know, to me, this this award for me, uh, you know, I've received a, a number of accolades throughout college and, and beyond. But it this is about Martinsville because, um, you know, it all started for me in Martinsville. So uh, I'm excited. Um, this is um, I, I'm going to be well represented by Martinsville as well. You know, I was able to get in touch with my head coach, Taylor Edwards, um, Ricky Haley, who resides down in the Tidewater area. So I'm super excited. But I, I want I want to make no question about it that this is this is definitely about Martinsville because it all started there for me. Give us a sense of the civic pride a city like Martinsville takes in in celebrating you know one of its its heroes one of its legends like yourself. Just give us a sense of of Martinsville as as a whole. I, you know I think I think everyone uh, that has reached out has communicated with me. Uh, they know that they're they're a part of this. Uh, I've had old teammates you know guys. Poodle Milner, uh, James Hunt, Mark Cook. These, these are guys that, you know, were in my mind, they were legendary because 
I transferred over to Martinsville High School uh, from a smaller school in the area, you know, Philadelphia, Collinsville, which no longer exists. So, you know, for me, it was when I transferred over to Martinsville, I knew Martinsville had a, a reputation for having uh, legendary basketball programs and, and powerful football programs. When guys like Dennis Mahan and, and Tony Dallas, these are these are guys I looked up to growing up. So, you know, when, when I when I talk about like representing Martinsville, like I said, these guys, um, this is about all of them. It really is. If we're playing a word association game and I just say Martinsville, what comes to mind? Martinsville Bulldogs, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I always ask and I'm always following to see how we're doing in both football and basketball now. You know, those are kind of your. Your, your popular popular sports. So, you know, when I when I when I inquire with either my my dad or uh, I'm looking through newspapers or I'm talking to to Mark Cook, I'm always like, how how did Martinsville do? How did Mar we 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 always Mark and I talk every week. So we're like, you know, how did they do this week? How did they do you know this past week? So we're always following. So you know, Martinsville Bulldogs. That's that when you when you say you know, the first thing that comes to mind, Martinsville Bulldogs. That's it's 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 um. That that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Well, we we love that civic pride, and you know, sports is about connections, and and especially here at the the Hall of Fame, it's about making those connections back to not just the colleges, but the hometowns. You know, this is where you grew up. You went to the same restaurants, walked the same streets as as Martin's as other Martinsville natives. So we're we're really excited, and feel free to bring the whole the whole town. <laughs> we'll, we'll accommodate everybody. <laughs> Yeah, you said, uh, you said someone had 70 that this year. We might be pushing that number this year, seriously. We like the sound of that. <laughs> you know, everybody in sports has a story for when it clicked. You know, mm -hmm. when did football click for you? You know, honestly, I uh, it was a tough transition for me when I transferred over to Martinsville. Um, new kid, uh, somewhat shy, but um, it really didn't click until my senior year. Um, we, Martinsville had a history of competing for state championships in football. And I want to say my freshman year, they moved me up to varsity. And obviously I wasn't playing. I was, it was just young and raw with, with you know, a lot of talent, but just, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. My sophomore year, I actually started and, and struggled. And I think the team struggled. I think we barely missed it. We missed the playoffs. And then my junior year, we got a little bit better. And my senior year, I was able to convince uh, the starting five on the basketball team to come out because these guys were super talented who had played football, you know, at, at younger ages, but they were all focused. They were kind of, you know, one, one sports stars and kind of focused primarily on basketball. But I got all of them to come out, including my, my best friend, Mark Cook and Kevin Beamer and, and Barry Harrison. And they took us to a whole nother level. Um, Mark was a tight end. Kevin and Barry were receivers. And literally, they probably propelled my recruitment to took it to another level. Um, started getting recruiting uh, by all the ACC schools, SEC schools, um, schools, and, and back then the Big East. So it was, it was. Um, that's when it really started to click for me. And and we should have won the state championship. Um, we ended up losing to Blacksburg in the, in the state semis at home uh, on a rainy field. Uh, we were explosive offense. I I would compare. The Mar my senior year Martinsville offense to the offense we had at UVA in 1990. We were that powerful. Like we were quick strike. Uh, those guys had phenomenal statistics that year. 
uh, and we probably should have been, uh, we should have won the state championship that year, but we fell short to a really good, uh, strong uh, Blacksburg school. Oh, I'm sure if it was anything like that, that UVA offense, I'm sure the fans in the stands were, were well entertained. <laughs> yeah, they were. You know, it's it's funny. Um, Coach Hall, you know, rest his soul, passed away a couple of years ago. Um, Coach Hall, I'm sure uh, our basketball coach wasn't too excited because he literally the entire five was playing football. And, you know, those those seasons kind of intermingle. Basketball starts in November when football is getting ready for state playoffs. So. Uh, but it's funny, you know, back then you just transitioned right from football to basketball. And, and, and that's something else that, you know, most people will tell you that uh, when they hear Martinsville, they think of Martinsville basketball because Martinsville basketball, Coach Hall was legendary, um, won a number of state championships. And uh, while I was there, we won two. Uh, even that senior year, we went on to win the state championship in basketball. So we made up for falling short in football by winning the state title in basketball. So it didn't affect the basketball season that that much, apparently. But what was that recruiting pitch trying to get the starting five to come out for football? Like what 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 helped you get them over the edge? Well, I, you know, first and foremost, we all know basketball players are super soft. Uh, and so uh, it, it, <laughs> I knew it was going to be hard to get those guys out because none of them wanted to be hit. They weren't going to play defense. They all were going to be receivers uh, and typical prima donna receivers. So uh, it it wasn't. It wasn't hard it, letting them know that, hey, man, you, you're going to be an integral part of this offense. So uh, when they came out, I think everyone thought it was a little bit of a joke. But when they came out and, and preseason and they saw these guys making plays, grabbing passes, you know, going up over guys, uh, everyone knew that, hey, these guys are serious and, and they could be really hard to deal with. So we obviously we, we've kind of gone through up to senior year in high school. You, you, you fell just short of the, the football state title, but you you got those guys, they, the basketball team, you got them in condition to, to win a state title for Martinsville High School that year. Oh, yeah. But as far as as far as your recruitment process to college, what ultimately drew you to UVA outside of in-state proximity? My, my mom and dad went with me on all my visits. Uh, I recall we went to Maryland, North Carolina. Uh, Virginia and Virginia Tech. Those are the four schools we visited. Um, there was something about the UVA visit and um, they fell in love with uh, the captain, senior captain at that time, Antonio Rice, uh, who's one of my favorite, you know, Wahoos uh, of old. And um, we just we just had an affinity for University of Virginia. Uh, they didn't necessarily push uh, the academic component, but um, it was an important part of it. Uh, and the football program was just turning around. They had just, you know, won the Peach Bowl in 84. So 85 was the time frame that I was visiting there. Uh, they went six and five in 85. And, and now if you go six and five, you're in a bowl game, but they missed the bowl game that year. I uh, saw so it was something about UVA. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, two and a half hours from Martinsville made it easier for them to, to commute back and forth. Uh, and I, I literally just fell in love with the campus uh, and, and the players. So it was, it was a tough decision because I had a cousin that was at Virginia Tech uh, who was a, a fabulous player, uh, legendary, went on to play for the Dallas Cowboys, Jesse Penn, who was recruiting me to come to play at Virginia Tech to follow in his footsteps. Um, but it, it, it was a tough decision, but I chose Virginia over Virginia Tech. And that also, I would say that incoming class of 86, Ray Savage, Paul Collins, um, Ron Carey, uh, Joe Hall, Derwin Griggs. I mean, that class was, that class to me took Virginia to the next level because, uh, you know, all those guys were 
you know, we were top 20, all of us were top 20 players in the state of Virginia. And half of the class, you know, decided to go to University of Virginia. So it was a monumental year recruiting wise. Uh, Tom O'Brien and Danny Wilmer, I, kudos to them because they were they were the recruiters. They were the recruiting coaches that were responsible for getting these guys to go there, uh, followed by classes like Chris Lade and Terry Kirby. So it the 86 class, to me, in my mind, started that that whole transformation of UVA football. How well did you all know each other before you got to campus? I mean, today we think about recruiting and, you know, we have 24-7, we have rivals, we have 100 right. different recruiting services with video, with touchscreen, everything. How well did you all know each other? I know that you say you were all in Virginia, but Virginia can be a big state. Yeah, and 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 back then you had to pick up the phone. <laughs> had to pick up the phone and call Ray Savage. Hey, man, look, what are you thinking right now? Why, why are you thinking about going to Florida instead of UVA? So th those conversations did happen. Um, and we were all on our visits at, at pretty much the same time. I can recall being on visits with Tony Covington and Derek Boyd, guys that we didn't know that were from North Carolina, but they were on their official visit at the same time. So um, you really, when you bring all these guys together on the official visit and we start talking about, hey, man, you know, let's 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 all decide to come here. You know, the, the, we were all great players in high school. And we were thinking if we could all come here, unite together uh, and be part of this program, we could take it to the next level. So those conversations did happen. We we stayed in touch. You know, um, I remember calling Derek and, and Tony and, and Ray. And literally, when we all decided to go there, uh, we felt good about our incoming class. I talked to Jerry Ratcliffe last week. Jerry's a, another incoming inductee, part of the class of 2023, and he's covered UVA athletics for decades. Um, and, and we were talking about um, how he's covered you uh, since, you know, since your time on campus. And he said that Coach Welsh, Coach George Welsh, Hall of Fame Coach George Welsh, mentioned that you might have been one of the most important recruits in University of Virginia football history. You know, I, I've talked to multiple of our inductees who played for Virginia, played for Coach Welsh. Um, what was your relationship with Coach Welsh? Give us a little bit of insight into, into kind of the, the madness that was Coach Welsh and what made him such a strong football coach and motivator? I think anyone will tell you coming into the Virginia football program uh, that played for him, everyone was extremely uh, intimidated by this little fiery guy. You know, he, <laughs> he had this uh, Joe Paterno type aura and uh, he was, he was, uh, he was, he didn't say much, but when he did, uh, you know, it scared the hell out of you uh, because he was just, you know, he would snap uh, on the field. But as I've said a number of times, best preparation coach I've ever had in terms of getting you ready for a football game. Um, and, and George knew what he was doing in terms of recruiting because the staff that he had, you know, guys like Ken Mack who recruited the Washington DC area in North Carolina. Ken was, I mean, he was, he was incredible in terms of bringing in guys. We probably shouldn't have gotten, you know, Derek Boyd was a, was a Gatorade back then, all American who should have gone to, you know, North Carolina, North Carolina state or, one of those SEC schools, but Coach Mack was able to get him, you know, at UVA and, and Tony Covington, who owned play professionally as well, you know, out of North Carolina. So George had a, an extremely talented staff. You know, Danny Wilmer was way ahead of his time in terms of just recruiting guys from all over the state uh, and getting guys to stay in state. But um, I would say as, as I got older and I was fortunate enough to be a two-year captain under George, um, and I got to know him, uh, I think we both, you know, really respected one another. Um, and I think one of the, one of the, I think for highlights for me was, you know, George never 
patted guys on the back. But in, in 92, when I came back and they retired my number, you know, Coach Wolf said, you know, that it gives me an honor and a privilege to, to do this because he was a great player and a great leader. And so for me to hear that from him, because you don't really get a lot of compliments from Coach Wells. When he said that, you know, it just, it meant the world to me. And, and I knew that, you know, I, I'd gotten his respect over the years. You know, looking at those teams from the, the late 80s into the 90s, you can definitely see how the recruiting definitely started to pick up steam. I mean, you just look at the backfield that you had with you under center, Terry Kirby behind you. You had Herman Moore out out wide. Um, you know, how did it make your job easier or, or was it more challenging because you had all of these great individual talents that you had to facilitate as the quarterback and make sure they got involved? Uh, you know, part of part of it is is keeping everyone happy, you know, yeah. uh, because, you know, people forget that, you know, we you know, we everyone remembers Terry Kirby because he was the number one recruit in the country. But in addition to that, we had guys like Nikki Fisher from my hometown who was an outstanding running back, and they split time. And I think both guys had a thousand yards and 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 ninety. So um, it was hard keeping everyone happy. But I think you know, kudos to Coach Gary Tranquil because one of the best hires George had was um, my second year, nineteen eighty seven, when he when he bought in Gary Tranquil, who was fired as the head coach at Naval Academy. Coach Tranquil came in and really transformed our offense. He took it to an entirely next level. Uh, that's where we became really powerful. I think it took a year or two to transition, but it was it was evident in 89 when we won the ACC championship and and the way we started playing. It was it was the wake for for me, the wake up party was the Wake Forest game, 1988. I remember going there. Uh and really having an outstanding game. And then for me, my confidence just went to an entirely different level. Um, I don't think we lost another game until uh, the start of 89 to Notre Dame in the kickoff classic. And then we won nine straight. So it was, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I commend Coach Welsh, but, you know, Tranquil also had a strong influence in, in my football career, just taking me, having me learn so much about um, you know, offense, four wides, three wides, 10, 11 personnel. Uh, he even had a, an, a, a package for wishbone, which back then you only saw big eight schools running Oklahoma and Nebraska were running, you know, uh, three backs in the backfield with two yeah. tight ends. So uh, Trank, Trank had a, a wide array of offense and um, we were able to, you know, to utilize that with all the talent we had. Speaking of offense, you know, you you were you would be considered a dual threat quarterback before dual threat quarterbacks were, were commonplace. You mentioned kind of Oklahoma and Nebraska, but they were all so focused on the run and the triple option, the wishbone. Everything was based on the ground. Um, in 1989, you were actually the only Division One A quarterback to throw for 2000 yards and rush for 500. Uh, seeing how the game has evolved over the last over the last 20, 25 years, how would your style play in today's game? You know, I never thought of myself as a as a as a runner. I, you know, I always thought that I was I could elude, you know, guys and and make plays, um, you know, with my legs. But I never really visioned myself as as a running uh, style quarterback. Uh, in addition to that, you know, there were so many offense, uh, so many uh, weapons on our offense. You know, I, I forget, you know we had fabulous tight ends as well. You know, Bruce McGonagall was an all-conference tight end. Um, you know, you had Herman Moore and you had receivers that, you know, besides Herman, you know, people forget about guys like Derek Dooley and Terry Tomlin, J. 
Johnny Wilson, Derek Boyd, these guys made plays. And so, you know, it was always competitive in, in, uh, in our practices because these offensive weapons that I'm mentioning, they're going up against, you know, really good defenders, guys that also uh, guys like Jason Wallace and Keith McMeans and Kevin Cook and Tony Covington, these guys all had opportunities to play at the next level as well. So it was competitive in practice every day. You know, you had to bring it in practice every single day. I love those practice stories. You know, j- just hearing, we talked to um, Anthony Poindexter last year as, as he was coming into the hall and, and his on defense, he had, he had other all Americans by his side, but then up, going up against offense, you had the Barber brothers and then Thomas Jones. And so they, these were the types of things that we loved hearing. Um, we spoke to your teammate Herman Moore about a year ago, uh, talking about the documentary that the ACC network did about the Georgia tech game. I know the Georgia tech game didn't quite go the way that you all wanted, but there was kind of a story within the game because the turf was damaged the night before. Right. When did you find out about the turf being damaged and that the game was potentially this this high level national TV game was potentially in peril? You know, we we would always go to a hotel the night before the game, even at home games, because coaches didn't trust players hitting the town, hitting the parties. Been <laughs> a party school, so I can recall being at the hotel, being at the um, the the um, DoubleTree Hotel out on Twenty Nine. And hearing that the the turf was on fire, we we knew it was a it was a big deal. Uh, you know, CBS covered the game back then. You only had one network carrying you know the big game that Saturday, so we we were on primetime sports that Saturday. And and to hear that the, the the artificial turf had caught on fire, it was to me. I was like, our, our, first of all, our students our students are crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, it was probably some some drunk kids from some rugby road who did this, but hearing that the game could be affected was a little nerve wracking, but to see the next day, you no, know, I remember seeing coach Welsh go out on the field and kind of look at the patch. They did a good job, you know, of, of patching things together. Uh, I don't think it affected the game at all by any means, uh, but it was a story. It was one of the storylines that day. I, I'll never forget, you know, Jim Nance covering it, uh, walking on the field, talking about that the game potentially could be, uh, you know, delayed because of the fire. I mentioned that game didn't quite fall the way uh, that, that Virginia wanted it to, but it, it was a classic game. Where does that game rank as far as games that you've been a part of? Oh, it's definitely up there. Top three for sure. Um, you know, I, it, it wasn't, you know, it didn't finish the way we wanted to, but, you know, Herman had a record setting day. Uh, I think it was, you know, back then I didn't really throw for 300 yards a lot. You know, I, I can probably count on one hand how many times I threw for 300 because we had such a balanced attack. But that day, you know, Herman accounted for over 200 plus yards. So I, I was over 300, uh, you know, five or six touchdowns in terms of accountability. So it, it was a great game statistically, uh, but I would have given up the stats for the win because I think most of my teammates, when we talk about and we reflect on that game, we feel we we all feel like if we won that game, we would have won the national championship. Um, you know, the next week we beat Carolina. Uh, and then we lose to Maryland, and then I broke my finger. And we were up against Maryland 24-7 and a half. So, you know, it just – things didn't – just they just didn't fall our way. And then uh, to lose that last game at Tech, which I, I didn't play in, and then to lose the bowl game. So we, we wanted to lose three straight. So it was, it, was, it was a tough way to finish the season, particularly starting the way we did and being ranked number one in the country. But I, I feel, and I feel like a lot of my teammates, if we win the Georgia Tech game, we run the table and win the national championship, which, you know, could have taken our p- football program to an entirely different level. 
Yeah, you know, sports sports has that that strange way of creating what if scenarios. Um, but it, but in 1990, your season you know spoke for itself. You were a Heisman finalist and actually ended up getting, I believe I read this right, the most votes for any ACC player up to that point. So you know, ACC players and players from Virginia are not you know regularly Heisman finalists. What was the Heisman experience like? It was incredible uh, because, you know, to me back then, I just, I, I would, obviously we, everyone watched the Heisman ceremonies prior to, you know, you watch the Charles Whites and Billy Sims. I can remember those, those ceremonies back in the day uh, prior to going. And so to be there and be sitting in the front row and, and having butterflies, knowing that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a small chance you might win this thing, but um, you know, you don't, you don't know the winner until they go up and make the announcement. So uh, it, it was nerve. It was it was very nerve wracking, but it was an incredible experience for my parents, my family, uh, all the people that traveled up from the University of Virginia. Uh, it was neat because it gave me an opportunity. I, I can recall being there was only three of us there, myself, uh, Rocket Ishmael and Eric Bienemy, who we've all remained close to this day. Mm -hmm. So uh, the three of us were there and uh, we got to know each other. You know, we spent two days together uh, and then I, I can just remember via satellite that was Ty Detmer and David Klinger, the other two finalists. And and when Ty won it, we all kind of, you know, breathed a sigh of relief. Okay, now this is over. And uh, we stayed, we've stayed in touch over the years. Uh, that's, that's really nice. That, that's a good story. Um, you know, you're, you're back at UVA now working in the athletics department and development. You're actually in Chicago right now on, on, on business. You know, what's the present, what's the future of UVA athletics? Lots to be excited about, but what excites you the most? I think you know now that we've we've uh, upgraded our facilities. Uh, it'll be you know I I was I didn't fortunately get to utilize the McHugh Center in 1991. I finished in '90, and the McHugh Center opened in '91. So we're talking 31 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, 32 years ago now that the McHugh Center opened, and I never got a chance to wow. use it except as a coach when I came back in 2010. Uh, but that that it's been outdated for so long now. So to to see what our football program will be, you know, moving into next spring is super exciting. Um, and uh, I think we're all excited, you know, for Coach Elliott and and his leadership. I'm I, I love the fact, you know, that we have uh, I got Chris Lay back in the mix. You know, he's on staff, so I'm super excited uh, about the direction that we're going. I think this will be monumental in terms of helping us with recruiting. Um, I think the program is it's going to return. I think it's it's on its way back. Uh, we're, we're back to focus on recruiting the state of Virginia, which is exciting to me because that's how it started for me back in 1985. So I think once we can persuade these kids in state to get back to going to state schools, I, I think we're going to going to be going in the right direction. We, we've seen just, you know, on social media and even at events, the presence of, of the coaches and not just uh, at Virginia, but, you know, your rival just up uh, just down 64 and 81. They're here in Hampton Roads again as well. And it, it's good to see that. It's great to see the outreach coming back. Um, just a couple more questions before we get out of, out of here. But, you know, you talk about the McHugh Center and how it was there right after you left. And now it's a little bit outdated. What is something that's available to the student athletes now that you wish you had when you were a student athlete back on campus all those years ago? <laughs> Everything. Well, first and foremost, <laughs> let's talk NIL. So, yeah, you know, it's right. funny. Herman Moore and I, we laugh because, uh, you know, we we felt like rock stars back in, in 89 and 90 uh, because we were, you know, literally 
back then it was a big deal to be on TV, you know, and, and we were being interviewed every other day. So you could turn on 29 news or uh, ESPN back then. And, you know, you, you see clips of us and it was, it was always a big deal. My mom used to tape them all. Um, but in this day and age, um, particularly for the, the current student athlete, um, I think that our monetary value would be through the roof. Uh, you know, it would be up there with some of the, the high profile kids that you see now that are, are signing deals, uh, NIL deals are going to schools. But, you know, for us, it was as, as I look back on it, I really wouldn't change a thing. You know, we, we enjoyed our college experience. Um, just for me being in school for five years, you know, to be able to go to U university of Virginia, get an undergraduate degree, go to grad school and participate as a fifth year senior. To me, I, I didn't want to leave. Like I could have stayed another five years and would have been extremely happy. Uh, so to me, just the love of college sports and, and loving the college experience, they always say, you know, the four years of college is the best years of your life. And it, it, I can't, I will not disagree with that because I had a fantastic time at the University of Virginia. Yeah, it's hard to argue, hard to argue with that. And, you know, now you're back working for the college uh, with the, the university. Um, so you can definitely see that emotional connection there. And, and it, it comes out in having this conversation. We'll get you out of here on this. But, you know, you're now going to grow, uh, join a growing list of Virginia football players in the Hall of Fame. You know, you hear names like Anthony Poindexter, Thomas Jones, uh, the Barber brothers, Rondé and Tiki, Herman Moore, James Ferrier. And I, I could keep going on and on. Jim Dombrowski. Uh, but what does it mean to you now to have this also being a common denominator between you and all these other greats from the program? It, you know, it, it's it's definitely special. Uh, I, I, that part, that's the connection with, you know, University of Virginia. Those names you just mentioned, those are my, you know, my whether I played with them or we're just, I didn't play with them, but we're associated uh, with each other because of our, you know, our brotherhood with University of Virginia. Um, that is the common denominator. but. As, as I mentioned at the start, you know, this is also for me, it's about Martinsville because that's where it started. So, you know, I want to give a shout out to all my Martinsville peeps because, you know, without them, you know, it wouldn't have been University of Virginia. Like I said, you know, the, that those basketball cats who came and, and, and propelled us, our football um, program to the next level, it started with them. So, you know, this this award represents all of them. Well, we, we love the sound of that. And like I said, we'll make plenty of space for the city of Martinsville to take over Virginia Beach if we have to. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, Sean, it's been a pleasure catching up with you today. Uh, I know you're busy, but uh, we, we really appreciate the time. And we're obviously looking forward to April and, uh, and hope you are too. Absolutely. I can't wait. All right, everybody. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Hall Call interview series. I'd like to thank everyone again who tuned in. And as always, thank you to all the sponsors you see listed over my shoulders. Our next scheduled Hall Call is Wednesday, February 22nd, when we will talk to another incoming 2023 inductee, two-time Olympic gold medalist Francina McCrory. Stay tuned for updates on future Hall Calls by following the Hall of Fame on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at VA Sports. HOF. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. 2023 induction is just 75 days away. Whatever you do, participate, don't spectate, and we'll see you next time.